ABC Listen. Podcasts, radio, news, music and more. The RBA wants people to lose their jobs. I'm sure they wouldn't say it, (laughs) but they sort of kind of do. Unless you're living under a rock, you've heard of the recent hike in RBA interest rates. But let's face it, with the cost of housing as it is, living under a rock is looking more and more likely. These increases are a measure to curb spending to bring down inflation. But the RBA is secretly hoping something else will happen. And that's for you to lose your job. I'm Tegan Taylor and this is Quick Smart, the show that feeds you big ideas in bite-sized pieces. The actions of the Reserve Bank impact everyone differently. So do we really need inflation to be below 3%? And also, I kind of know what inflation is, but I also kind of actually don't. And sorry, how is it better for society to have higher unemployment? If we're in a cost of living crisis now, how will losing jobs make that better exactly? Someone who has been counting his pennies is Richard Aidey from The Money. Hey, Richard. Hello, Tegan. (laughs) Can we go back to basics for a minute? What is inflation and how does it work? Inflation is the increasing cost of goods and services in response to demand being greater than supply. Mm. That's essentially it. So it's the price going up and it's driven by other factors. So high demand, low supply. We went through in the pandemic um, particular issues about supply chains and that immediately brought back inflation. We've also had in the last couple of years, of course, Russia's invasion of Ukraine that led to and is still leading to some supply problems. Most of those sort of worldwide ones have kind of kinked out now, but we still have a few issues here. It's always this fine balance. We don't want inflation to be too high. We also don't want to go into a recession. We know that that's a bad one. So economists and bankers seem to agree that about 2 to 3% is a good target for inflation. Where did that number come from? I think that goes back to the 90s. The RBA settled on it then. It's not a million miles away from other targets that other central banks have. There is some discussion about whether we'll get back there. Like, maybe we don't need to. Maybe we could be okay with 3% rather than 2 to 3%. So where does unemployment come in? Okay, unemployment is sort of used as an inflation management tool. So the way the RBA frames it is to achieve a low rate of unemployment without fueling excessive increases in wages growth. Right, because if everyone's got a job, then there's more demand for people than there is supply. And so then individuals have like bargaining power that then could drive up wages. So yeah, you're in a position to ask more money. What the Reserve Bank kind of thinks about, the way it deals with it is with something called, now this is a bit of jargon, the non-accelerating inflation rate of unemployment. Oh, that's snappy. Or or Nairu. So Nairu, Nairu, you can just say Nairu. And what that is, is the lowest unemployment rate that can be sustained without causing wages, growth and inflation to rise. Remember, we were talking before about how if everybody's got a job, you kind of hold the the whip hand with the employer, you can always leave and go somewhere else and you can say, I want more money. So it's about finding 
I, a term I use a lot in my in the money's high end coverage of economics, <laughs> the Goldilocks number. Got it, got it. It's a Goldilocks number, lowest unemployment rate without causing these things, without causing wages growth and inflation to rise. But here's the thing about it. You can't measure it directly. It, it's not measurable. We, we don't know what it is. We kind of infer what it might be. But sometimes what people think it is turns out definitely to be wrong. It also seems to me that the sorts of people who are most likely to lose their jobs when things sort of get tight and unemployment starts to rise are probably the people less likely to be able to absorb that financial hit. Yeah, that's true. This is the stuff the RBA but, doesn't really like talking about. Yeah, because you're using like little people to sort of control this sort of uh, big yeah, number. I'm sure they wouldn't frame it that way. But yeah, so as, as recently as June, the next governor of the Reserve Bank, Michelle Bullock, she spoke and she said that the RBA thought the jobless rate would have to climb from the current rate of 3.6%, it's now 37 to 4.5% to tame inflation. Now, that's 140,000 people losing their jobs in, in 18 months. Is this the only economic model we've got? Like- no, no, no. I mean, well, yes and no. So there are other approaches on the fiscal side, but that would require the government doing things. And governments in Australia have tended not to do things to tackled these issues for some time. The RBA has been independent since the 1990s, the mid-1990s, and that has suited politicians because when the interest rate goes up, you will notice that Jim Chalmers, as other treasurers before him, have been careful to say the independent RBA has done this. Like other treasurers before him, Jim Chalmers is quick to take the credit when things are (laughs) going better, but it's always the RBA that's pushing the interest rate up feels like a pretty blunt instrument. It really is. So monetary policy is, it's really the interest rate. And with the interest rate, the RBA and indeed all central banks that operate this way have to do quite a lot. They want to control fundamentally inflation, but they only have the interest rate to do that with. And in fact, they only have one interest rate, which is called the cash rate, which is the rate that banks will lend to each other at. Mm. So if Westpac lends some money to NAB, It does it at the cash rate. All the other interest rates are built on top of that, so everybody gets a margin. But that's all they've got. If you've only got a hammer, every problem looks like a nail. They have interest rates, monetary policy, and some people say they also have one other thing, which is talking about it. And the governor who we're about to, to say goodbye to, Phil Lowe, has done more talking than any other governor ever. The thing with a tool like this is that depending on who you are, it can be a win. Like if you own your house outright and you've got a big savings account and you're cashing in on this nice high interest rate, but the flip side of it is you're a young person who's just bought a house, you're struggling with this. Oh, absolutely. And I think that people who bought property in the last two or three years are absolutely in the worst position and people who are renting are in a very, very bad position too. And it tends to be, um, we characterise them as older people, but it's because it does tend to be older people, boomers and up, if I could put it that way. The trouble with a blunt instrument is that there's no way that you can adjust the head of the hammer. It's just (laughs) the hammerhead. It's not a Swiss army knife. You can't do anything else with it. Phil Lowe's made it clear that he, uh, he gets this. He's very concerned that some people in particular are getting smashed by this hammer. But 
he doesn't say this, the hammer is all he's got. Mm, mm. <laughs> when we have conversations like this and there's words like inflation and monetary policy and jobless rate, I realise how many gaping holes there are in the Swiss cheese of my understanding of how economies work. What kinds of tools could the government have or could our government have to control this? So the government has control of fiscal policy. So it can say, we're going to do this. We're going to, and and in fact, it's trying to say that now. It's saying, we're, we're giving you some relief from inflation without contributing to inflation. And if you think about it, that's a hard thing to do. Say inflation at the moment at 6%, earlier it was 7%. One of the areas where there was a lot of price inflation was, and I don't need to tell this to people who have young children, in childcare, mm-hmm. which has been expensive for a long time, got very expensive. The government's got a targeted payment for that. And because it's also found money to pay childcare workers, because most of childcare workers are essentially paid for by what the government pays, it hasn't driven up childcare prices. So that's a fiscal policy, an instrument that has tackled some inflation at the margins and in a very specific way. Well, what I'm going to ask you to do now, Richard, is to just to gaze into your crystal ball, which I know you have. You brought. I can see you holding it there in the studio. What does the next 12, 18 months look like, especially for people who perhaps are at risk of becoming one of the people in that jobless figure and what kind of impact that's going to have on interest rates and cost of living? Okay, so I'm not going to make any predictions. Oh, come on. No one ever wants to make predictions. No, I mean, my job is talking to economists and I talk to a lot of academic economists and I talk to bank economists. And the bank economists in particular think that essentially we're nearly done on interest rates if we're not done now. So we're approaching a tipping point. Yeah, we're either, I think that's the debate, is we're either at the tipping point or we're nearly at the tipping point. Feels like I'm trying to predict when you're at the peak of a coronavirus surge or if you're coming down the other side. I think in a way, the numbers are better on that stuff. <laughs> it, 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 it comes through quicker. The trouble with going back to the blunt instrument idea is that it actually takes a while to tell how it's working. And that's partly about um, when people's mortgages change. So until that stuff changes... Most people don't act. Do you think we'll ever have a better, more precise way of controlling these things? I honestly don't know. I I think that politically, it really suits governments to leave it with central banks. Ultimately, if the economy goes really bad, governments pay. But in the process, they can blame the central bank and hope for deliverance. Mm. Oh, well, you've filled in a lot of the holes in my monetary brain Swiss cheese. (laughs) Thank you so much, Richard. It's been a pleasure. (laughs) You've been listening to an ABC podcast. Discover more great ABC podcasts, live radio and exclusives on the ABC Listen app.